Hill. Thanks for tuning in to Amy on the Hill, a podcast born out of Jesus's teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, which says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Hey, this is Amy. Welcome back to the podcast. If you're new, thanks so much for listening. We're currently reading and discussing the Gospel of Mark and a book by author and pastor Timothy Keller entitled Jesus the King. And today our discussion is going to be about money and love, specifically, of course, some of what the Bible has to say about money and love. So even if you're not reading along with us, I hope you'll stick around and listen because these are two pretty important areas in our lives, right? Money and love, both pretty important. So we definitely want to think about what the Bible has to say about this, okay? So as we get started here, I'm going to ask that you pause with me for a moment so we can open in prayer. The temptation might be to just jump right in and get going with the podcast. I know that's true in a lot of different areas of our lives. But taking time to stop and pray is so important to prepare our hearts and uh, also to acknowledge our need and love for God, okay? So let's take a minute uh, to stop and pray now. Lord God, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for this day. And this moment we have right now, thank you for bringing us here. It's crazy to think this, but all of our lives have led to this moment right now. And here we are before you. We thank you for your faithfulness to us in bringing us here, in loving us, and in persisting patiently in this relationship with us. Please help us to love you, Lord. Please help us to be content. Please help us to stop wishing away time and putting our hope in anything besides you. Help us to stop pursuing the next thing. Help us to pursue you. Your word says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all those other things we worry about and hope for will be taken care of by you. You have the power to change us, to change what's most important to us, to change what motivates us, what excites us. God, please change us, Lord. We struggle so much When we focus on the things you don't want us to focus on, and I know for me, it can even be ministry stuff. Help us to take our eyes off whatever it is, whatever we think it is that will make us whole, and help us to fix our eyes on you. You are the only one who can make us whole. Thank you for your continuing uh, work uh, to bring about wholeness in our lives. It doesn't happen overnight, but we uh, can see that you are changing us, and we thank you for that. Use this podcast to change us, Lord. Use this book study to change us. Conform us into the likeness of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so this week we read... 
three chapters of Mark's gospel. We read Mark chapter 10, 11, and 12. And out of Jesus the King, we read chapters 11 and 12. So that's what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, in chapter 11 of Jesus the King, we looked at a portion of Mark chapter 10 and a portion of Mark chapter 12. And the portion in Mark chapter 10 started at verse 17 and went through to verse 27. So I'm going to read that for us now out of the New International Version. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Okay, so first I thought it would be good if we defined rich, because I think somebody out there has got to be thinking this part of the book doesn't apply to me because this part of the Bible applies to rich people and I'm not rich, okay? So I hear you on that. Many of us listening are not rich compared to some people we know or see on television. So in response, we might be tempted to tune this portion of scripture out and think it doesn't apply to us. But I want us to think about this for a minute. We actually might be more rich than we realize. Okay, so think about this. When was the last time you legitimately worried about where you were going to get your next meal? When was the last time you literally had nothing to wear? Like if you took off your current outfit, you would not have another item of clothing to put on. When was the last time you went out to eat at a restaurant? When was the last time you went out for fun? Maybe you went with a friend or you took your child or your grandchild on a special outing. When was the last time you watched cable TV or surfed the internet? When was the last time you got yourself a tall glass of water from your kitchen sink? None of these examples I just listed seem like luxuries to us. Having something to eat when we're hungry, wearing a different outfit every day, going out to restaurants, paying to be entertained, drinking clean water. This doesn't seem extravagant to us. We probably don't even see it as much of a blessing. A blessing for us is more like winning an all-inclusive paid trip to the Bahamas or something. Getting a glass of clean water 
from the sink is nothing to us, but that's because we're rich. Friends, I hate to be the one uh, to break this to you if this is news to you, but if you are listening to this podcast, in all likelihood, you are rich, as broke as you might feel. You are very, very, very rich. According to a guy named Branko Milanovic, I apologize if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but he wrote a book entitled The Have and The Have Nots. And in that book, he said that the bottom 10% of the U.S. income distribution falls in the upper 30% of the global income distribution. Did you catch that? I'm going to say that again. The bottom 10% of the U.S. income distribution falls in the upper 30% of the income globally. I also read this week that more than a billion people around the world are now living on less than $1 per day. Less than $1 per day. Friends of mine work with a great organization based out of Boone, North Carolina called Wine to Water. And what Wine to Water does is endeavor to provide clean water in the Amazon, in the Dominican Republic, in Cambodia, and Haiti, in East Africa, and Nepal. And on Wine to Water's website, it says that every 90 seconds, a child in this world dies from a water-related illness. Think about that. I know some of us listening are really struggling financially, and I don't want to belittle that. I know a lot of times when we look around at how some people live here in the United States, it doesn't feel like we're rich. But compared to the world's population, even the poorest Americans are rich. Again, the bottom 10% of the U.S. income distribution falls in the upper 30% of the global income distribution. It's really crazy. And I say this not to make us all feel super guilty, but uh, to try to help us tap into what God might be trying to tell us through our reading and through our discussion this week. Because if we don't think this applies to us, we're going to miss some of what God's saying here, and we don't want to miss what God's saying here. Remember, Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And in fact, apart from God, it's straight up impossible. So let's unpack that. Keller explained that Jesus's teaching here is not pointing to an ideological problem with wealth creation per se. Keller writes, Jesus uh, does not say having money is wrong or unjust in itself. Keller also explained that Jesus wasn't saying all rich people are bad, nor was he saying that all poor people are good. Um, Jesus also wasn't saying in the words of Keller, just be careful, don't fall into greed, be generous from time to time. No. Keller said that Jesus was saying There's something radically wrong with all of us, but money has particular power to blind us to it.
Do you remember how chapter 11 of Jesus the King started? Keller opened chapter 11 by sharing the observation of Andrew Walls, uh, who he said was a distinguished historian of world Christianity. And according to Walls, unlike other great world religions, Christianity's center is always moving. Keller says it's always on a pilgrimage. Islam started in the Middle East, and the Middle East is still the center of Islam today. Buddhism is still centered in the Far East. Hinduism is still predominantly in India. But Christianity started in Jerusalem, and its center is not in Jerusalem today. At first, it moved to the Hellenistic Mediterranean world. Then, after a number of centuries, it moved to Northern Europe and North America. And now it's moving again. Christianity is receding in Europe and North America, and it's growing exponentially in Latin America, Asia, and Africa. And according to Andrew Walls, that's because there's a certain vulnerability, a fragility at the heart of Christianity. And he says that's the vulnerability of the cross. And as we've been learning throughout this book study, the cross is all about, in the words of Keller, giving up power, pouring out resources, and serving. And Keller says that Walls hinted that when Christianity is in a place of power and wealth for a long period, the radical message of sin and grace and the cross can become muted or even lost. Then Christianity starts to transmute into a nice, safe religion, one that's for respectable people who try to be good. And eventually, it becomes a virtually dormant in those places, and the center moves somewhere else. Wow. Why do you think that is? Why is it so difficult for Christianity to thrive in a place of power and wealth? How might we be like the rich young ruler in Mark 10? Keller suggests that when we have wealth, we'll in many ways make this our identity or our savior. We'll get, we'll get our sense of worth from the kind of clothes we wear or the kind of bag we carry. We'll feel superior based on the amount of property we own or the number of stamps on our passport. We'll be inflated because of our accomplishments. I also think money just gives us this false sense of control, you know? I mean, think of the Israelites... In the desert, if you remember, when God led the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt, they didn't have food. So God rained down bread from heaven just enough for each day. It was called manna. And every day the Israelites would have to go out and gather the manna for that day. And that reminds us of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. There's this ongoing day-to-day -day need for God's provision. God is our provider, our sustainer, our savior. We look to him daily to survive. But when we can go buy bread whenever we want, in whatever variety we want, at whatever time we want, and when we can freeze a few extra loads if we catch a good sale, then we start to get our security in that. Instead of God, we put our hope in what we have. We might like God, we might even love God, but in the words of Keller, our faith and trust 
is now in our wealth and our accomplishments. God might be our boss, but he's not our savior. And if we want God to be our savior, we have to replace what we're already looking to as savior. And Keller says, everybody's got something. What's it for you? For me, I don't know about you, but for me, it's just hard. I think it's interesting that the rich young ruler that we read about went away sad. Did you notice that? He kept his stuff. He kept all of his stuff and yet he went and yet he went away sad. And I think I do the same thing a lot of times, whether it's money, which it definitely is in many cases, or even if it's something else that I'm choosing to keep in an unhealthy spot in my heart, it leaves me sad. I think it's what I want and it's often even what I choose to keep but it leaves me sad. Think about what many of us do when really bad things happen, when something tragic happens in our lives. And I know this isn't true of everyone, but many of us in times of trouble go to God. We run to God. I know people who have lost everything in house fires, people who have lost really high paying jobs, people who have fought and even lost their battle with cancer. And in the midst of going through these things, these people have this like, supervision. They can see what's important and they can see what isn't important. They can see how blessed we are and how short this life is. They get that perspective that draws out genuine Christian faith instead of a faith that's just nice, safe religion for respectable people who try to be good. And I want their genuine Christian faith. I want their supervision perspective. I don't want Christianity to go on a pilgrimage away from us here in the United States. I do want it to spread abroad, but I want it to stay here too. I want it to grow here. And I want it to start with us. And even though I know it's impossible for rich people like us to have God's perspective in so many instances because we're so blinded and even controlled by so much of our stuff, even though I know it's impossible for us to get that perspective on our own, it's not impossible with God. Jesus said it, and I believe it. All things are possible with God. So if you're new to the faith, I guess you're probably deducing by now that Christianity isn't always a feel-good, pat-you-on-the-back-about-yourself kind of faith. We are facing really hard realities about who we are in our flesh apart from Christ, and a lot of times these things aren't pretty. Uh, we're going to get into another area of ick in just a minute, but before we do, I wanted to take a little bit of time here just to remind us all of the reason why we call this faith good news. Because sometimes, you know, when we're facing uh, some of the issues in our lives, we can get discouraged. We can even start to feel cut off from God. So I just wanted to give us all a quick reminder of who we are in Christ. Because friends, we are dearly loved children of the Most High God, it says in Ephesians 5.1. We've been won for the highest cost by the truest love that the world has ever known according to 1 Corinthians 6.20 and 1 John 4.19. We are empowered, according to Colossians 1.11, and enjoyed and rejoiced over, according to Zephaniah 3.17. We're beloved, 
according to Romans 9.25, we're clothed with dignity, according to Proverbs 31, verse 25, and we're given a crown of righteousness, according to 2 Timothy 4.8, and a crown of beauty, instead of our crown of ashes, according to Isaiah 61.3. We're given the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, We're going to be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, also out of Isaiah 61. And that's what makes the redemptive work of Jesus Christ so glorious and so humbling because we didn't deserve or earn an ounce of what he did for us, but he loves us so much. So don't get that wrong. Don't fall into the trap that I so often would fall into and sometimes still do, you know, thinking God's mad at me, sick of me, tired of all my issues. Listen, he wants to deal with our issues, but don't get it wrong. We are loved. For those of you who are parents or who have the joy of loving some special children in your life, maybe nieces or nephews, uh, we can even see this in our relationships with pets sometimes. When our little ones are jacking it up, does it change our love for them? No way. What about when they get older, when they grow up and they go off track? Do we withhold our love then? No. We may even love them and think about them more because for us, they're like that lost sheep. They're the one that we long for the most, the one we pray for the most. So just keep that in mind, you know? And uh, I know that some of you listening may have had or do have difficult relationships with your Parents, uh, you may struggle to understand the unconditional, limitless love of a parent, and I get that. Uh, The Bible actually acknowledges that too in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. uh, The Bible says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. So the Bible even says here, listen, (laughs) It's not likely that a mom would forget her nursing child, but even these may forget. Some do. Some people don't have great parents here uh, in this life. And yet God says, I will not forget you. You are so dearly loved. Okay, so again, I just wanted to give us that quick reminder of God's love for us because I realize our content throughout this book study is pretty sobering and convicting. And if you're not being convicted by anything you've read so far in the Gospel of Mark or in Jesus the King, I would say to you, in all seriousness, uh, pray and ask God to help you to see what he wants you to see. Because listen, 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, So if we're thinking you know, none of this applies to us, this applies to other people, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. But 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God says his word goes out from his mouth and shall not return to him empty, but it shall accomplish that which he purposes and God's word shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it. God intends for his word to convict us. He intends for his word to produce fruit in us. He intends for his word to renew our minds and refine us and help us understand him and his will. So just keep asking God 
to do that little by little in your life. And thankfully, he usually doesn't show us everything that's wrong with us all at once. I think it would overwhelm us and maybe even super discourage us if he did that. So he does it gently over time, uh, to which I would also say, as a side note, we need to be patient with others who are also in process. Maybe God's not ready to show another person an area they need to work on in their lives. You might be able to see exactly what some of my issues are. You might be able to pick out things about your friend or your spouse that they don't see about themselves yet. Well, I can pretty much guarantee you've got a few of those blind spots yourself, whoever you are. So let's uh, just keep being patient with each other out there. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Knowing how far we have to go personally, let's use that for momentum in extending grace to others in our lives as well. Okay, so the last thing we're going to consider today is the idea that sacrifice is at the heart of real love. Keller talked about this in chapter 12 of Jesus the King, entitled The Ransom. And he drew the discussion from various passages in Mark and also from Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And essentially what Keller argued in this chapter was that even our best attempts at love are often selfishly motivated. Keller referenced a 2007 article from the New York Times entitled Happiness 101. And in this article, um, they discussed the idea of positive psychology. Researchers actually found that if you focus on doing things and getting things that give you pleasure, it doesn't lead to happiness, but instead it produces what one researcher dubbed the hedonic treadmill. This is when one can't get enough pleasure and keeps on having to raise the bar to achieve a pleasure fix. So lasting happiness can never really be achieved. Therefore, this article said, that it's actually through acts of selfless kindness that people are able to achieve happiness. And according to Keller, the researcher pointed out that when you are leading an unselfish life of service to other people, it gives you a sense of meaning, of being useful and valuable, of having a life of significance. So naturally, he argued, you should live this way in order to achieve these better outcomes. But Keller pointed out, if I lead an unselfish life primarily to make myself happy, then I'm not leading an unselfish life. I'm not doing these acts of kindness for others. I'm ultimately doing them for myself. We're being encouraged to live unselfish lives for selfish reasons, which doesn't make sense. Likewise, Keller went on to say that if we do good things because we believe by doing good works we'll get favor with God or a ticket into heaven, we're caught in the same paradox as the positive psychology people. We're basically 
doing good works because uh, it's for our spiritual well-being. So Keller asks, how can we escape this self-referential trap and truly become unselfish? And the answer, of course, is Jesus. Now, first, like we did in our first segment, I think we need to figure out how this even applies to us. If you understand the gospel of grace, you may be thinking there's no word for you in this. But I think as we go through this, we'll be surprised at the many ways selfish motivations can creep into our love. First, let's start with parenting, because other than God's love for us, parenting is probably the most selfless kind of love we know. Keller talked about uh, the serious sacrifice parents endure for the sake of their children. But let me ask you, have you ever known a person who was unwilling to let their children go in a healthy way as their children grew? Have you ever known someone like that? I'm going to go on a little tangent here uh, by asking you guys, has anyone ever read the book Love You Forever? People stinking love this book. It's basically about a mom and her son and their relationship through the years. And as the son grows, he never outgrows his mother's love. It's generally a pretty sweet story. But at the end of this book, I don't see, I don't see how this doesn't completely creep out more people. But at the end of this book, uh, the mom literally gets a ladder, puts it to the window of her son's bedroom. He's like grown and moved out of the house. So this lady like breaks in. Uh, he's like three times the size of her. She carries him out of bed and rocks him on her lap in this tiny rocking chair. And there the book ends. And uh, according to the reviews I read on Amazon, most people can't get through this book without crying. But I happen to like this one mom's review of this book. And I'm going to read it for you here. This one, this one mom wrote, I got this book to read at bedtime. It got a little creepy when the mom started crawling through the son's window to hold him at night. I don't think I will be reading it to her again anytime soon. <laughs> Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another review. Sorry to be blunt here, <laughs> but did no one else notice this book is creepy as bleep? The mother sneaks across town in the middle of the night with a ladder, waits for all the lights to be out, and climbs in the window. What the heck? <laughs> oh, sorry, I just had to I just had to share that with you. Okay. I had to stop recording for a minute and collect myself there, but seriously, what kind of children's book is that? If you love that book, I'm sorry. But that is cray cray. And that's actually a pretty spot on example of how even parenting, the most selfless of loves we know, can become selfish. Now, I'm not saying that adult children do not need their parents. Adult children absolutely need their parents. But we definitely don't need our parents to climb into our bedroom windows at night to rock us in a rocking chair. That mother climbing in the window there was meeting 
her own need in the name of loving her son. And we see this all the time, don't we? Mothers and fathers who aren't fully committed to launching their baby birds out of the nest, but instead uh, raise them uh, to maintain some degree of dependence. Why is that? I think it's probably because they don't want to let go of their children. And um, I don't think there's anything uh, wrong or unhealthy about wanting a thriving relationship with an adult child. But there is a problem when parents use guilt or money or even their love to manipulate and control their adult children. And that is so crazy common, it isn't funny. So yes, parenting is a pretty selfless thing, but it's also a pretty rewarding thing. And so even parents' best attempts at love can often be selfishly motivated. Also, and I realize I'm really picking on parents here, but before we go off this topic, I also want to say that this doesn't just apply to parents of adult children. I'm a parent of young kids, and as a mom of littles, the temptation can be to get self-worth from your children, to exist for your children, or even to live vicariously through them. Maybe they're good at sports or they have another talent, and that kind of love is not entirely selfless. We do, in the words of Keller, get a sense of meaning from parenting. We do feel useful and valuable. And in a lot of ways, parenting does give us the feeling of having a life of significance. But is that where we get meaning? Is that why we're useful and valuable? Is that why we're significant? Because I have friends who don't have kids. What does that mean for them? Are they less useful or valuable or significant? No, of course not. Nor are parents more useful or valuable or significant because they're parents. And it's important for us to make that distinction while our kids are young so that we can love them well and so that we don't end up climbing some ladder leading up to our kids' bedrooms in the middle of the night. Okay, so we're getting ready to end, but I did want us to consider a few more examples of how our love can unfortunately be selfishly motivated. In addition to, and like parenting, we can be selfishly motivated by pretty much every attempt uh, that we make at an act of selfish, unselfish kindness. Uh, speaking for myself, it can be fun leading ladies' Bible studies and doing podcasts like this. I'm someone who's always enjoyed being in the spotlight. So I am constantly having to check myself before the Lord on this. I also serve regularly with Seeds of Hope. This is such a rewarding ministry based out of Camden, New Jersey. And I just love working with them for so many reasons. I often go to serve and leave being served by the people uh, there instead. And also, you know, when people hear that I I work with seeds. Sometimes that makes me look good. So I have to straight up check my heart before the Lord on this. Why am I doing this? What is motivating me? Galatians 1.10 challenges us to ask ourselves, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
The Bible even says that prayer can be selfishly motivated. In Matthew chapter 6, starting uh, with verse 5, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to, to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Similarly, backing up a little in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So listen, friends, even our best deeds, if we're not careful, uh, can have a selfish motivation. There's really nothing in our lives uh, that is exempt. You know I love me some Beth Moore and Beth recently tweeted something I thought was funny, but also so right on. And what she said was this, get rid of your BS before Jesus comes to get it. And good Lord, he will. I know this personally. And by BS, of course, I mean big show. <laughs> Isn't that good? I just love that. It's so true. Uh, but listen, I just want to say one more thing before we close. Please Again, don't get discouraged by this. If you see a little dirt, if you see uh, a smudge mark you never saw in your heart before, take heart, friends. You're in good company. In Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 21, even the Apostle Paul said this, So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will rescue us from this body that is subject to death? Well, Paul answers that question in the next verse. In verse 25, he says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Once again, we cling to Jesus and marvel at his righteousness that is ours through faith. Like toddlers, we may still be learning to put one foot in front of the other, but friends, he is raising us up to walk, and not just to walk to church, but to walk on water. And that's not something a single one of us can do without him. Okay, so thanks again for listening. Next week, the reading continues. We are uh, more than halfway through. We're about three quarters of the way through this book. So congratulations to you on that accomplishment. Next week, we're going to be reading chapters 13 and 14 of the Tim Keller book, Jesus the King. And out of the Bible, we're also going to be reading Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark. <laughs> we're going to be reading Mark uh, chapters 13 and 14. So that's easy. Chapters 13 and 14 of Jesus the King. 
and chapters 13 and 14 of the Gospel of Mark. As always, if at any point you forget what we're scheduled to read this week, you can always check it out under the resources section of my website, amyonthehill.com. Also, as always, you can contact me on social media or through my website with uh, comments or questions. Some of you may have noticed that I'm temporarily off my personal Facebook account, but my Facebook page for Amy on the Hill is still active. Um, and I also wanna ask if you're not already signed up for my email mailing list, please sign up for that. You can also do that on amyonthehill.com. If this is your first time visiting the site, uh, you should get a pop-up block inviting you to subscribe. But if you visited the site in the past, you're probably going to have to scroll down to the very bottom of the page and you'll see a place where you can subscribe to my email list. And that way, when a new episode of the podcast comes up or if I ever send out an email to my listeners, you will be on that list. OK, so thanks so much for doing that. Uh, once again, as we close, I'm going to ask that you prepare your heart and in faith, please personally receive this benediction from Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>